welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes, and also this week, Lily Ray, my good friend. Welcome, Lily. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, for those of you, uh, I think most of you listening to this probably, if you're uh, following my work, you followed Lily's work as well. Uh, but for those of you who maybe aren't familiar uh, with Lily, Lily is the Senior Director of SEO and uh, Head of Organic Research at AIMSIF Digital, formerly Path Interactive, right? Did yes. I say it right? <laughs> AIMSIF Digital, yes. AIMSIF, sorry. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about your role there, Lily. Yeah, so um, historically, I've been SEO director. I've held that role for a number of years, both at AMSIV and a, a prior agency. Um, but in the last couple of years, my roles my roles kind of shifted more towards like industry research and and writing and speaking and just sharing my findings with the SEO industry. So I'm, I'll be doing a lot more of that in 2022. Fantastic. And so Lily and I, uh, we study the same types of things. I think both of us got really interested in Google's understanding of EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, trustworthiness, uh, a little bit earlier than most of the SEO community did. And uh, and I think that's how we connected, Lily, right? That we, uh, I, I, actually something came up in my um, photos memories from, was it two years ago or three years ago that we went to meet John Mueller at the Help Hangout? I think 2019. Yeah. yeah, it was obviously pre-COVID, right? And uh, John put out a thing saying, I'm going to be in the New York City Google offices. So if anybody's nearby and wants to hang out for a help hangout, join us. And so I'm not exactly nearby. I, I uh, jumped on a, a flight and <laughs> and uh, and got there and then met Lily, which was, uh, which was great. So um, thanks for joining me today, Lily. So we're going to talk course. today about, uh, we're going to try to cover a number of things. Lily wrote an article this week about, and I realized how funny it was when I tweeted this, the uh, the SEO losers of 2021. We're not going to be talking about SEOs that are, no, no, we're going to be, that are losers. No, no, there's none of those out there. Uh, it's no. about the sites that uh, lost with Google's updates in the last year. Um we're also going to cover a little bit about the product reviews update and some confusion around that. Uh, we've had some new manual actions for Discover and news sites, and Lily actually uh, has a client who's received one of those, so we'll we'll talk about that. Yay! And yeah, and maybe cover. Um, Cyrus Shepard did a really good study on title tag rewrites, which is totally in Lily's wear, uh, wheelhouse as well. Uh, before we get into those uh, conversations, just a couple of other things from our newsletter. Um, newsletter you can find at mariehaines.com slash newsletter, and this is episode number 220. Uh, there was a logging issue in Search Console this week uh, for image data. I don't know, Lily, did that affect any of your clients as far as you know? I haven't had a chance to look yet. Yeah, and I haven't looked either, but I've heard some uh, rumblings of between January 24th and 27th. Uh, if you're seeing a drop in clicks and impressions for images in Search Console, apparently that's a reporting error uh, and not uh, likely to be real. Um, and then uh, we have this new uh, inspection, Google Search Console inspection uh, uh, API. I'm sure that's something you're going to be uh, digging into, right? Oh, yeah, that's really, really exciting. Um, we've been waiting for that for a really long time. So I'm excited to see how the SEO technology companies innovate their tools to be able to report back on that. 
Exactly. And I, I think I'll probably talk more on that in a future episode when uh, some of the people who are really smart with tools and integrating APIs can uh, get us some more info on that. So let's talk about this article that you wrote, Lily, about um, now you wrote one uh, just a couple of weeks ago about the winners in uh, algorithm updates over the last year. Um, and then this recent one with losers uh, in alg algorithm updates. Um, so tell us, uh, tell us about those articles. What were you doing there? Sure, yeah. So this is becoming an annual tradition now. Um, I work with Systrix to report on specifically within the US, which sites saw the greatest increases in visibility. So we call those the winners. And then the losers are the sites that lost the most visibility. And this is using what Systrix calls the, the visibility index. It's basically a score that they assign to a given domain that takes into consideration how a domain ranks against their set of keywords over time. Um, it's kind of like the stock market of SEO, essentially. Um, and so, you know, looking at the, the sites at scale, so for each article, I looked at 250 domains that saw the greatest uh, increases or the biggest decreases, and just kind of reporting back on, on any overarching trends or, or patterns that we could find from the data. Yeah, so let's talk about the winners first. Um, what kind of trends did you see amongst sites that did well with Google updates in the last year? Yeah, so um, you and I always talk about EAT, expertise, authority, and trust. And I wasn't necessarily like looking for that in the data, but it was very clear from the data that that was another big trend in 2021 um, in the sense that I think Gov uh, government sites, sites that tend to have a lot of authority, and then other similar sites like the Mayo Clinic or the Cleveland Clinic are seeing really big increases and like steady, consistent increases in visibility over time. And if you look at the individual keyword level, you'll see a lot of examples where maybe like more commercial sites um, or sites that have like affiliate links or something lost a little bit of footing to official government sites and very high, highly authoritative sites. That was a big trend. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe I'll pause there. I don't know if you have any thoughts you want to no, add no, to go that. Go ahead. So, go ahead. Keep telling us about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I mean, some other big trends. This is this is common every year, but sites that tend to grow as their inventory grows, it's pretty obvious. So things like social media sites, like LinkedIn, for example, or Instagram. As more people join the platform, obviously they're going to get more visibility because they're going to rank for a broader set of keywords. Um, Spotify, I called out uh, also in the UK version of this of the Systrix article. Spotify was a big winner there as well. Um, they seem to have benefited greatly from the June 2021 core update. Mm -hmm. And then there was also a lot of uh, what I refer to as like reclassifying user intent or intent shifting. So dictionary sites and stock photography sites saw really big increases in visibility. And, you know, I'm sure that the sites are focused on SEO. I'm sure they're doing a lot of different things from an SEO standpoint. I didn't really dig too much into that. But I do think that when we see sites like reference sites that have dictionary definitions or stock photography see these big upticks in visibility, it's an indication that Google might be determining that the queries should be returning picture results or di dictionary definition results. And those types of intent shifts are very hard to compete with from an SEO standpoint, because if you're not a dictionary website, you're probably not going to be able to compete when that happens. So I think that was a really big outcome of a lot of the core updates that we saw last year. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. Like I think Google, uh, I think a lot of the changes that we see that are not announced algorithm updates, but just a blip where we see like, oh my goodness, a lot of sites saw uh, something happen here. Um, rather than Google changing 
major things in how they evaluate sites. I think a lot of it these days is how they understand the query and yeah. they understand that, oh, this person actually wasn't looking for a definition or, um, you know, when people type in this query, they're more likely to be looking for a how-to on how to do it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting. The advances that they've made with understanding language um, seem to be, uh, in my understanding, is, is uh, getting better at knowing what is it that the user is actually looking for. Yeah. And I think that was another big outcome. There were two very big updates last year, the, the two product review updates that behaved in a similar way as core updates. But one of the big takeaways that I got from analyzing those updates is that for a lot of transactional keywords that used to return product review websites, so like product roundups, where to buy it, the best ones of 2021 or whatever, those articles actually just disappeared and more transactional sites moves into top rankings. So that's, and it didn't happen for every query. It's like for some queries, I think Google determined people are looking to buy when they type this type of query, but for these other queries, they're looking for those product roundups and product mm -hmm. review sites. So there's, again, it's like reclassifying of intent and it's, it's hard to adjust your SEO strategy if you are a product review website, for example. And I think that's what one of the things Google's talking about when they say that uh, with core updates, uh, there are some sites that if you're negatively affected by a core update, they say, well, there's not anything you can do. It doesn't mean that there's a problem with your site. And so, for example, if you have the most amazing page that gives a definition on something, but Google has intended that the intent is uh, uh, to um, a how-to or they want to see images or even a video for something, um, you know, uh, changing the content on your page uh, may not always help. Uh, so it's, yeah. uh, it's a challenge for a lot of site owners that have, you know, perfectly well-optimized pages. Uh, that's nothing wrong with them, but are seeing drops. Although I feel like it's happening more and more often now that people come to us and say, wow, we've seen this massive drop in traffic, in organic traffic, uh, but not an equivalent drop in conversions. Right, well, right. Matter. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to focus on as much as, as SEOs and um, beyond SEOs, I think a lot of us are really obsessed with traffic and rankings, but Google in, has the data to determine what users are actually looking for. So if the user is not ready to make a purchase, maybe a transactional page is not the best fit for what they're looking for. So sometimes we have to just trust the process and it's hard for clients. Like I have some clients that sometimes get negatively impacted by core updates from a traffic standpoint. But if you look at the, the pages that were driving traffic, it's like that you are benefiting from something that wasn't really the best fit for what the user was looking for. And Google probably redetermined that that's not the best um, match for the user intent. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, well, let's talk about uh, your most recent article then about the uh, sites that did not do well with core sure. updates. Uh, so, um, and, and 2021 was so crazy. I mean, uh, I, there's a running joke, right? That um, when I go on vacation or especially if I go on vacation and you go on vacation and Glenn oh, yeah. is away, uh, Double that whammy. Google runs Triple something whammy. big. <laughs> and I, uh, and I went off on leave in, uh, June, just after the June core update. Uh, and a lot of stuff happened, didn't it? Oh yeah. There were like <laughs> six updates that. that month. So yeah. And I miss them all. So Lily, you can tell me, uh, tell me about these, uh, sites that did not do well. And we'll talk about some of the updates probably here. Yeah, and I, I do want to preface this by saying, uh, you know, being on the loser list does not necessarily mean you did anything wrong, as we talked about before. And also, it doesn't mean that your SEO strategy is not, you know, on point or not, you're maybe you're not underperforming necessarily, because a lot of this stuff is outside of our hands. So as an example, the first thing I noticed is 
Google getting better at understanding language, I believe. So um, there's a variety of really big brands that have international CCTLDs. For example, Pinterest Canada, Amazon India, eBay.co.uk. Those sites were performing really well in the US despite having their own US version of the domain. And some core updates kind of took care of that in the sense mm -hmm. that like eBay US was maybe unaffected, but the international versions of eBay are not doing as well in the US. And that's like what it's supposed to what's supposed to be happening in the first place. Yeah. So it's just Google getting smarter in some cases. Um, but one big trend that I noticed throughout a lot of the sites that moved down is I think that Google is kind of rolling out some new versions of EAT and its algorithms. I think that it's becoming more focused on authoritativeness. So if a site demonstrates a lot of depth of expertise and authority on a given topic, in some cases, it might outrank a generalist publisher, even if that publisher does great things from an EAT standpoint, has like a very rigorous editorial process. The niche authorities, subject matter experts, in some cases overtook the big players in 2021, which I thought was mm -hmm. very interesting. I'm trying to decide whether this is a good place to like uh, talk about the manual actions. I, th I think it's probably a good idea to jump in here before we get onto the losers and talk about that because Google announced some new man. Well, they announced the new manual actions like a year ago. Uh, right. And then just this week, we started hearing some uh, rumors of, of people getting them. The reason why I was saying we should talk about this is because I think it gives a little hint towards um, some of those things that Google is trying to measure in their algorithms, like more authoritativeness and, and being sure uh, that they can trust the sites that they show, especially for Discover and News. Um, you said you had a client uh, that received one of these? Yes, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, so we actually got the, the warning from Google, as I think a lot of these sites that were affected did get um, several months ago, which is like a slap on the wrist. And interestingly, it was pretty aggressive. Like if you look, the irony to me, and I've written about Discover before, but the irony to me is that the, the sites that tend to do really well and the pages that tend to do really well in Discover, from my perspective, completely violate all these guidelines and all these things that Google's sending out manual actions for. So that's a different conversation. But the one that we got was basically like misleading content. So if you say the new season of this show is going to be uh, rolled out in 2022, um, but the article doesn't say the date, or maybe the article says like, we don't exactly know when something like that, that seems to be setting off flags within Google. So they're really focused among many other things on reducing clickbait, which ironically I think is the thing that tends to perform best in discover. So it's kind of a weird conundrum. And that's, that's, I mean, that's in the quality readers guidelines, right? A few times where they talk about uh, clickbaity headlines. There's an example of a headline that says that Miley Cyrus is dead uh, when mm -hmm. she clearly wasn't. Um, and uh, it's interesting to see. I mean, that's been in the QRG for quite a long time. And when we see that Google's giving manual actions for things, so you're saying the headline said, here's when this movie gets released. And the article says, well, actually, we don't know, right? So that's, right. that's clickbait. And Google doesn't want to show that in their algorithms. So if Google is giving manual actions for that, it means that they can't figure that out algorithmically just yet, right? And they mm -hmm. don't want to show it. And they have to manually somehow flag these and, and say, well, look, we're not going to, even though this, this article, our discover algorithms, our news algorithms want to choose this, we can recognize manually that uh, it's not accurate. So yeah. I think that if they're doing that um, manually, that they're, uh, the goal is to head towards that algorithmically, right? And so yeah. I think we'll see 
future updates, who knows how long in the future, uh, where um, sites that have uh, the two things I think that were being uh, talked about were misleading information, like you said, and then also um, medical information that contradicts scientific consensus. Uh, That's something that Google can be penalizing for as well. Um, I haven't seen either of them yet, so uh, I think they'll they'll come though. If if anybody listening has um, a manual action for uh, medical issues or medical consensus, I'd love for you to reach out to me because uh, I'd like to to look more into um, the types of content that Google's flagging here. Totally. Uh, yeah. Anything else you wanted to say on those manual actions, Lily? Well, yeah. I mean, I think again, like Discover is a different uh, product than organic search, right? And it's it's really interesting. If you look at your own Discover feed, like if I look at mine, for example, I feel like most of what I'm seeing is very emotional content. It's very like, it's clickbaity, honestly. But I guess, you know, if you click on the article and you scroll long enough, you get the answer that you're looking for. So I think what Google's trying to do is strike a balance between content that's engaging that gets clicks, but not create an environment where Discover users feel like they're clicking on junk that's not actually meeting the expectations of the headline. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's a, an inherent trust that users have now that, um, you know, Google's getting a little bit better at uh, not showing spammy results in, at the top of the search results. And so I think a lot of users go, wow, if this is in my Google Discover feed, it must be true. Um, right. I mean, not everybody, not everybody uh, believes everything <laughs> that Google says. <Right. laughs> uh, but um, but I think a lot of people believe that if Google shows it to me, then it must be true, right? So I, I can see why they're trying to uh, to work on these things. And uh, it fascinates me. I'd love to know what goes on behind the scenes. I have all sorts of theories on how uh, they could be uh, doing this, but that's probably another topic for another day. <laughs> um, I derailed us though. You, we were talking about your uh, article on the SEO losers. So um, tell me about these you mentioned that uh, sites like Pinterest and um, some, what else was it? Amazon, I think eBay was another that uh, their non-American uh, CCTLDs uh, saw a big drop in visibility. Do we know um, if that affected those sites? I mean, drop in visibility could be, well, you had keywords that were ranking bottom of page one and now they're bottom of page two, uh, and that may not actually affect them. Any ideas? I would say if I were Pinterest, this would have a pretty big material impact on <laughs> Pinterest. So that's an example where I think, I can't remember which core update it was, but at some point in 2020, there was a core update that resulted in Pinterest's international sites ranking on the in like the top 10, like mm-hmm. almost like 10 different CCTLDs from Pinterest ranking for the same query, which like even Danny Sullivan responded and was like, this is not how it's supposed to happen like this was like this this need to be fixed which ultimately i think it was so i think we're seeing a refinement of google understanding like which cctld should be served in which region and granted i haven't dug into the hreflang strategy on these sites i, I know that some of these sites are using hreflang but i think that in some cases even with a correct hreflang strategy google was still for whatever reason showing the various cctlds so I think this is just another example of them getting a little bit smarter. Um, and this past week, I want to say, Glenn Gabe was actually talking to John Mueller on Twitter about like, if Google's actually getting smarter at understanding language. And John Mueller was like, yeah, like even without hreflang, we're actually becoming more sophisticated at understanding which language should uh, show up mm-hmm. in which region. Well, that's good. I mean, the more Google can understand, uh, the better, I, <laughs> I suppose. Um, 
Well, and my team and I were talking about, I wonder uh, if those changes in um, that you're seeing with uh, international CCTLDs um, not doing so well, I wonder if that was across the board or if it was, uh, you know, just these big uh, massive providers. Um, so again, that's another good question for uh, people who are listening. You know, if you have um, an international presence uh, and you rank in U.S. SERPs for non-U.S. Uh, TLDs, then I'd like to know if um, if there was a reduction there. Yeah. Do you, do you have a sense, Lily, if it was uh, like many other sites? Um, I don't know if it was many, but I did post about this a few times and people from other places like the UK said they're seeing the same thing on their end. But okay. granted, I, I mostly saw this limited to a lot of the very, very big sites. Okay. Makes sense. Um, speaking of big sites, uh, your article talked about Healthline seeing some declines. So that's interesting yeah. because I've, uh, I know uh, I had a couple of people reach out to me thinking that Healthline were our clients because I talk about them so much, but uh, yeah, uh, but they're not. They're not. We just we watch what they're doing though because in 2017, when when we first started really paying attention to this concept of EAT. At that time, Healthline uh, really surged. Uh, I think it was like February 2017, there was a, an unnamed update. And uh, and a lot of Healthline pages, especially medical pages, like just did so, so well. Uh, and that's where we looked at, wow, they have they actually have uh, doctors writing content. They have like a lot of the things that qu the quality raters guidelines talked about. Um, so that's why I thought it was very interesting when you noticed that Healthline was seeing some declines. So uh, yeah. talk about that. Yeah, it's been interesting for me too, because I've, like you, I've been using them in my talks about EAT as like the poster child of good EAT. I think they do so many things right. Um, they do have medical reviewers, especially on like very high, like your money, your life type content, something about heart attacks or whatever. They're going to make sure to bring in like a cardiologist or whatever. So they do a lot of things right from an EAT standpoint. But to my point before, I think that you can do everything right in the SEO space. And sometimes it's just not enough. Like it's not enough for Google to determine that that should be number one. Um, so what I think was interesting about Healthline, because I dug into some of the keywords that they lost footing for, is that um, they're very generic, very high volume keywords. So something like allergy, tramadol, pregnancy test, and they didn't completely lose visibility. They might've moved from position one to position four or something like that. But if you look at who outranked them, it's in many cases, like in the example of the keyword allergy, it was like eight sites that have only subject matter expertise on allergies, like the Allergy Foundation or the government's, you know, dedicated page for dealing with allergies. So it's like, I think that Google's just ramping up this notion of authoritativeness. And in some cases, you'll see sites like the CDC or the FDA, like, let's say that page has like barely any SEO optimizations on it, just because it's from the CDC or the FDA, they get to be number one. So there's a lot of that happening. And again, it's not to say that Healthline did anything wrong. It's just that for certain your money, your life queries, Google wants to rank the authorities above everybody else. Mm -hmm. And you wonder if in this case, uh, if Google, you know, turned up some dial on authority. I know you and I have talked before about how the guide to disinformation or how Google fights disinformation uh, talks about in times of crisis, they can choose yeah. to prefer more authoritative sites, right? And I mean, in the last two years, we've been in the worst time of crisis we've ever seen. Um, yeah. I wonder if it's that or if it's more related to intent again, that, um, you know, maybe Google figured out that when somebody searches for allergy, it's very important uh, for them to have results from, uh, you know, a very authoritative, uh, recognized as authoritative medical source. Um, yeah. Yeah. And another thing too, that's been interesting to dig into is like a lot of these big health publishers like Healthline, 
they cite the same sources um, as, you know, they cite trusted, um, you know, content that's in line with scientific consensus. It is scientific consensus. Like they, they cite the primary source. And if you look at, uh, if you look at what Google's doing, in many cases, the primary source that they're all referencing is a thing that ranks. So oh, interesting. Yeah, it's like oh. how can you compete with that? If they're all writing about the same source of information, Google's going to pick that source of information in some cases. That is interesting, and it makes sense, right? That uh, you know, I'm sure uh, you know Healthline would probably argue in uh, some cases that perhaps their content was more helpful, um, right? Uh, but I, th- I, you know, I think there's a there's a balance, um, and I, I do find that most of the time, what I read on Healthline is, like you said, it's it's backed up by science. It's uh, but uh, but I think in some cases um, you're going to want to hear from the official organization uh, when they right. have appropriate medicine or topic on it. Um, and then you saw, uh, let's see, user-generated content sites saw some declines. Yeah, this one's always been confusing to me because they go up and down with every update, so it's hard to say what's happening. Um, I thought Medium was kind of example, or kind of interesting because, like, who, like, who controls the quality of content on Medium? You know, it's kind of a free for all. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we talk a lot about like domain-wide quality signals. And when you open up a site like Urban Dictionary as well, to anybody leaving any definition of anything in the world, including very vulgar content, um, that's tricky for Google because some of it might be really helpful and interesting to the user and some of it might be like offensive and not appropriate. So, And that is something else that's in the the QRG as well, right? That uh, content that is uh, vulgar um, or, you know, content that um, is upsetting to uh, to a majority of people, not even a majority, but to a good number of people uh, can bring your content down and be, uh, they can consider it lower quality. Um, and we've had, uh, I mean, there are some situations where it's difficult because that, you know, the main subject matter of the site, uh, it, it calls for the audience um, maybe uses that language. And so um, right. in some cases, you know, we've, we've talked about uh, separating out, um, you know, the, the, the more, I don't want to say vulgar, but like more adult yeah. language uh, into subdomains. Um, we had, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of case studies here, but it's just, it's good to know that uh, Google does look at these things. Um, and that's probably a good reason why, you know, we've had comments or talks before about comment sections and mm-hmm. uh, whether, you know, if you have a comment section that's full of vulgarity and, and people just ripping each other up, that's a part of your content on your page, right? right? And a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, that's been a big finding um, over the years that I've been really digging into EAT is like these unregulated comment sections that end up being 90% of the page content. Like you said, it's people debating, it's people leaving personal information or contradicting what the article said. And it's like, that all counts towards your main content. You got to be really careful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said Quora. Quora saw some big declines and then they improved with the uh, December Quora? Yeah, I don't remember if it was actually core update related. There's been, as you know, some updates in the last six weeks or so that are not announced or not confirmed core updates, but there's been a ton of volatility. And I've seen some sites like in early January that just like completely spiked. So it's hard to say what's going on. But, Mm -hmm. you know, these UGC sites tend to get caught up in the crossfire with many different core updates. Mm -hmm. 
Quora is an interesting one because I think there's some really good stuff on Quora. I saw yeah. uh, a little while ago, I did a search for something and I saw that Quora had started labeling people who were experts as experts, which was something they hadn't done. I, at least I hadn't seen it in the past. Um, but then there's also a lot of stuff that's just horrible uh, right, on right. Quora. And so uh, I think, you know, as Google gets better at understanding language, I'd like to think that the good stuff is able to be pulled out of, of Quora. Um, but I think that, uh, again, if you have tons and tons of pages where it's kind of questionable, uh, then it gets difficult for Google to trust the good pages. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about, yeah. So the beginning of December was when Google launched the second product reviews update, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or the second, it was April, was it April? Yeah. The, the first April and then December. Right. And December. And then that was really confusing because we had a number of sites that saw changes, um, some up, some down uh, following that, that really did look like they were affected by the product reviews update. But yeah. the content that changed, like it wasn't even remotely close to something we could call a product or a review of a product. Um, and I know you've been frustrated with some of that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. We had an example um, in the, the April version of the update where uh, B2B SaaS client of ours lost first page rankings for um, a product keyword that they have. And what happened was that the, the SERP became dominated with um, companies reviewing that product and not companies selling the product. So I mentioned this before, but I think in many cases, it's Google just determining how much of the SERP should be allocated to the review sites compared to the sites selling the product. So again, that's very hard to compete with, but you know, at the, at the time it was launched, Danny Sullivan chimed in on Twitter and said, like, this extends to more than just sites that review products. It also extends to sites that review, like, services, for example. And I've seen in my own research and in what we've seen with our clients, it's more than just product review sites. And there's a lot of sites that were caught up in this. I know you put an example. I believe that was you that tweeted an example of a site reviewing schools, um, mm -hmm. uh, which really, I mean, it's not schools are not a product. Uh, that and they were affected. I think we have um, clients in that area too that uh, were affected by pages that they didn't review um, schools. They gave information. I don't know how to describe it. I just felt that it wasn't what uh, Google was saying should have happened at that time. Yeah. I, I really think that, um, you know, we've been talking about these changes to language and Google's understanding. I think they've uh, introduced a few things in the last uh, six weeks, like you said, that and some of the sites that are thinking they were affected by the product reviews update, there's something else going on. Mm, yeah. I, yeah. I, my theory, and I could also be completely wrong, is just like any site that has any component of it that has essentially like affiliate links or an affiliate program is eligible to be considered a product review site. I think that Google's getting a lot more sophisticated and like nuanced as it relates to how a site makes money. So if the t intent of the page is to get people to click on affiliate links, the page, in my opinion, and what I've seen is that that page is treated differently. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be really careful. And like, there are some sites that talk about YMYL topics that start to venture into more of this like commercial area with a lot of their content. And I think that that raises flags with Google sometimes because it's like, how can we trust you to provide objective, your money, your life content? when we know that you have this transactional component to a lot of the content. Mm -hmm. So it's really important exactly. to be careful yeah. with that. Yeah. And I think that's something that like as users, users could see that. Um, but again, there's this trust, right? That if, 
uh, if Google is ranking something highly, a lot of people think, well, I can trust the links on this page. And, and uh, um, that's not always, uh, not always correct. I saw uh, Danny Sullivan tweeted to somebody uh, who was asking about uh, whether the product review update was just for products. And he said, well, the focus is on products. Service reviews might also benefit from this update. Uh, but then I think John said something that uh, was different than that. Let me see here. Yeah. Um, oh, right. You asked John about yeah, I asked John uh, that was the about, schools. Um, yeah. The schools, and John said, yeah. I suspect he said not. it should be limited to products, but in my perspective. Yeah. Go ahead, Lily. Go ahead. Sorry. We have a little bit of a delay on Zoom. <laughs> um, yeah. He said, like, it sh that shouldn't apply to the product review update, but that um, he was like, I don't know, should it? Like, in kind of like a question way. So I don't know that they even necessarily understand the, the impact that these updates had across a lot mm -hmm. of different categories. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, yeah, I think they know the impact. I mean, they don't know the entire impact. They know that it's affecting a lot of sites, right? but does it matter to Google? You know, um, we look at, I mean, I know people will say, well, Google just wants to make the most money they can. I, I maybe I'm naive here, but I do believe that they're trying to produce the best search results, you know, and there's, yeah. there's going to be casualties. There's, there's going to be some sites that have worked. We've had people come to us that have worked for years to produce like absolutely amazing content, uh, that just aren't doing so well. Um, and that's not Google's fault, you know, like they're, they're trying yeah. to serve the best, but, uh, it's, it's challenging challenging well let's uh let's see what else we we can talk about here oh travel sites and education you said you saw a few of those uh, TripAdvisor had seen some declines yes this is where um just based on looking at the visibility patterns alone i actually um i work kind of closely with Systrix. i at one point did a training with Systrix to understand how to interpret these visibility charts. And something that I found really interesting about the TripAdvisor and Expedia, the travel sites, is, is the nature of the declines. So it wasn't always tied to a core update. It was like really kind of a slow and steady decline that's been happening since before 2021, kind of starting in like maybe even 2018 or 2019. And what's interesting is there's actually articles by staff at TripAdvisor that say, Google's a competitor to us, and there's a reason this is happening. Google obviously has products like, um, you know, Google like flights and, and hotels and different travel products. So it's kind of a conspiracy thing, but like maybe Google's chipping away at the market share in this category, and these sites are seeing declines as a result of that. What do you think? I think we've seen it across a lot of different categories. I mean, you know, I don't want to point to that always. Of course, there's SEO issues on these sites as well. On these sites as well. Um, but TripAdvisor was one of the biggest losers last year. And that there's a whole other host of reasons why that could be the case. But um, it's it's a different type of decline than we're seeing with other sites that's very consistent over the past few years. Interesting. I mean, you could see how user-generated content could affect TripAdvisor. There's totally. a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of untrustworthy, uh, angry people uh, yeah, <laughs> leaving exactly. reviews on there, right? Especially uh, traveling during COVID and all that. So uh, I, you almost wonder if, um, I would imagine that the sentiment of UGC on TripAdvisor uh, has declined since in the last couple of years. And I mean, we could get into arguments about whether Google measures sentiment in their uh, their algorithms, but who knows? Like. Um, 
Yeah, I think we'd have to do quite a bit more investigation to fully under understand that. But it's interesting to see though that that's uh, that's happening. Um, and then you commented on a few e-commerce sites that hm.com uh, had a big drop with the um, the spam update. Was it in in June? Yeah, or update. So this was actually an interesting chart um, towards the end of the art the article because um, this is the first chart I've ever pulled together that to me reads like it might have something to do with the page experience update. And granted the page experience update, we've all kind of come to a big consensus now that it didn't have a huge impact or at mm -hmm. least the impact that a lot of people expected it to have. But if you look at the nature of these declines, yes, there was a core update at the same time, which makes it really hard to measure. But the page experience update took, I think like two months to roll out. And these sites are big, heavy e-commerce sites. And um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, entirely possible that that had something to do with the declines because it happened around around June or July when they rolled out that update. Mm -hmm. Because the spam update, I, I, don't, I don't think any of the spam updates had a huge effect in any of our clients, which is interesting because we have we do have a number of clients that we remove unnatural links for and, and, and things like that, right? But um, but yeah, I didn't feel like the spam updates had, have you seen much actual effect that you could tie to one of the spam updates? Well, What's interesting about the spam updates is that I think both of them were precursors to core updates. They were like a week before a core update. So if oh, you look point. at the charts, it's like you can actually see in many cases sites that were impacted positively or negatively by the core updates saw that movement beginning with the spam update for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of that. So it's hard to measure. Yeah, there's so many things going on. And that's why, because I used to, like when I first started looking at algorithm changes and started our, our list on algorithm updates, it was like, you know, every now and then we'd have one and we'd really be able to reverse engineer it. Not not completely reverse engineer it, but we'd be able to look at it as SEOs and, and say, well, I, I saw it doing this and I saw it affecting these clients. And we often could come up with something where we'd go, oh, well, now we need to do more of this. Or, you know, now we should try testing this out. And I feel like that's not the case anymore. You know, it, it, it just, Google almost seems facetious when they say, you know, uh, if you've been affected by an update, here's our post on core updates that has these questions to ask. Uh, but right. I believe them. Like, I, I actually think that's where they're they're headed to. And, and they may not be completely there with the things they want to accomplish. Um, but more and more, it's becoming the horrible adage of, you know, create great content <laughs> yeah. Google wants, uh, which yeah. is frustrating for SEOs sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, you have to just stay the course. And sometimes these core updates can be a curveball because like in the example of Healthline, I think they're doing pretty much everything right. Like maybe there's some big opportunities that I'm missing, but like I, I don't and I, you know, I've spoken to that, some of them and it's like we don't adjust the strategy because a core update happened. Like sometimes mm -hmm. the core update results in, again, reclassification of a certain query and you can't compete with that. So as long as you're staying the course and following the guidelines that Google provides, hopefully it will eventually result in visibility increases, but there's so many other factors at play that sometimes it's just mm -hmm. out of our hands. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's finish up by talking about this study that uh, Cyrus Shepard did about title tags. So, uh, Lily, you uh, I know this was when I was off. I saw you tweeting a bunch of stuff about Google changing title tags, and it was like a huge issue for uh, for quite a while. Um, and then Cyrus uh, did a study that showed uh, a few things that, um, number one, uh, make sure your title tags aren't too long. He said that title tags more than 70 characters uh, tend to be rewritten by Google uh, and too short, like under five characters would be rewritten by Google. Um, 
A few other things. He said that uh, title tags that use square brackets tend to be more uh, often rewritten. And uh, using pipes in your title tag can uh, cause it to uh, be more likely to be rewritten. What's your experience with all of this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so cool that Cyrus put this study together because, uh, for one, the percentage of title tag changes is much greater than what Google told us it would be. I think Google told us that something like 70 or 80% of titles will be left as is. Mm. And then Cyrus showed that 61% are, of titles are rewritten. Uh, yeah, so, 60 yeah, 61. It was a lot. It was between 60 That's and 70. Yeah. yeah, pretty big discrepancy. And like, of course, we have to talk about like, is that Google's entire database of content or is it just what Cyrus studied? Of course, it's a different thing. But um, what I think is really as much as I love Cyrus's article, I'm really glad someone did this research. Um, I just when we talked about it as a team this week, it was like, are we really going to change anything that we do for this reason? I don't think so. Um, are we going to start using dashes instead of pipes? I don't think so. I think that you can fit more content in a title tag with pipes than you can with dashes. So like, I think there's a lot of like correlation is not causation happening here. Maybe there's many, many more neglected websites that happen to use pipes because they have Yoast installed and they haven't optimized anything. And that's why we're seeing mm, so many point. pipes being overwritten. So like we have to take into consideration that there's trillions of pages that are just neglected, but I don't think that this should change our strategy very much. Um, unless Google happens to be rewriting something that's very valuable for your business, maybe you should take a look at why that is, but I'm not personally changing my title tag strategy as a result of I this. I saw some people tweeting about, um, I mean, sometimes Google changes title tags that need to be a certain thing for legal reasons, right? Mm, yeah, That's scary. Yeah. And uh, somebody asked John Mueller, what do you do when Google's rewriting a title tag and makes it, uh, you know, not compliant for legal reasons? And he said, yeah. there's no, we don't really have any, any recourse for that. Yeah. Uh, that's a little scary. That was honestly the thing that I found most, um, what word am I looking for? A little bit frustrating when this all started happening because I've dealt with that before. Like I've had pharma clients where getting a title tag approved takes six months. And then to tell them, Google's just changed it because they decided they should change it. And I was looking at the CDC when they started changing title tags and the CDC had like dozens of titles changed to some other word on the page. And if that gets taken out of context, that could present a really big problem. So they did dial it back very significantly since August when they rolled out this update. But it's I think that Google should provide a tag that allows you to say, we need this title to remain the way that it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but similar to like a no snippet tag, I think mm -hmm. that they should have something like that. Yeah. I mean, I could see how it could create messes uh, for Google. But I do think um, in situations where the title take change is dangerous or uh, makes the page not legal, uh, you know, it's, there, yeah. there has to be a, a way to at least submit feedback or, or something to say like, hey, <laughs> this needs to be reconsidered. But then I, I, I expect that that would create massive problems, uh, right. you know, on Google. Everybody side, would so. use it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting stuff to observe. Yeah. We haven't really, um, made any or advised any significant changes based on Google rewriting title tags at this point. Although I do think that there could be some value in looking at which pages Google is rewriting titles for. Um, yeah. because you know, if Google's rewritten a title to add a certain word or to change like the nuance of the title a little bit, uh, well, maybe it's a little clue of what, Google thinks the user intent is for most people searching for this, right? So uh, I do think it's worth looking at. Um, I don't think it's a massive deal for, for most sites. 
Yeah. Um, well, that was good. This was a this was a really good discussion. This is not normal for me to do this. I've been recording just podcasts by voice, and uh, I was I was telling Lily before uh, we started recording that we have Starlink now. We have uh, Elon Musk's satellites uh, <laughs> at my house, and so now instead of four megabytes per second internet, I can actually upload some video, uh, which is cool. <laughs> Um, I want to thank you, Lily, for all of the work that you have put out in the last few years. Uh, there's been discussion in the last couple of weeks of, well, for a long time of, uh, you know, SEOs being critical of each other's work. And um, and it's so hard because there's a balance, right? Like we, yeah. we need to, when somebody publishes work, we need to be able to critically say, uh, is this going to be good for me? Or, uh, you know, is this person perhaps off on something? And, um, and I think, I think that, uh, over the last little bit, especially with Twitter as SEOs, so many people have been arguing and, and backbiting with each other that it's caused a lot of people to not publish research yeah. and thoughts. Yeah. So thank you for, um, publishing despite how challenging that can be. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. And I know you and I have talked about this a lot kind of offline, but like, it's to your point, it's, uh, I think we need to do a better job as an industry of being more accepting of a wider variety of voices and opinions. And I also think it's um, the responsibility of people who publish content to provide, um, you know, the methodology to say when something's speculation, say when something's opinion, but realistically, all of us are just providing speculation and opinion. <laughs> None of us has the actual answer to any of this stuff. So it's, we should be more supportive of each other. There should be less bullying. I, I know for a fact, there's many people that are too scared to post on Twitter because of the bullying, which is not cool because like you and I are just both people that are just trying to figure this out. And like, you know, it took me a really long time to become public facing for that reason. And I hope that more people feel like it's a safe space to share their thoughts and ideas mm -hmm. because it makes us all better. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I think it's a good message to all of us to um, not to just focus on saying nice things, but to occasionally say some nice things, especially yeah. uh, in this time where, you know, we're all going through a lot of stuff. Um, because when I tweeted about, uh, you know, if we keep criticizing heavily each other's SEO work um, without kindness, uh, we're going to run out of stuff to, uh, to talk about. Um, and a lot of people replied to that saying that they stopped putting things on Twitter. They stopped publishing blog posts for fear of, um, what people would say. I yeah. think some of that is human nature that if I publish a blog post and, you know, 800 people tell me it's amazing and two tell me that I, I'm full of crap, <laughs> then I'm going to remember those two people, yeah. you know? And, and so some of it is us just, uh, rising above, uh, the criticism, um, but I think all of us in SEO could uh, could do a better job at uh, supporting each other sometimes, uh, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to end on a, on a... Oh, go ahead. Yes. I was just really quickly going to say there's absolutely space to debate things in the SEO world. We should all continue to debate each other's work and, and raise concerns and have questions and things and everything. But there's a way to do it nicely and there's a way to not do it nicely. So hopefully as an industry, we can do a better job of being nice to one another. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and yeah, I don't mean to be the the mom that's coming down and, and criticizing everybody for criticizing everybody. <laughs> that's, so, <laughs> that's so ironic. Well, thank you, Lily, for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate you spending the time to uh, to talk to us with your thoughts on all these things on SEO. Um, I know you're a busy, busy lady. Uh, what Have you got anything exciting coming up? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I'm super honored to be part of it. Um, 
And yeah, actually, I'm about to basically hit the road for like four months of a lot of different SEO events and, and discussions and meetups, mostly in Europe. I'm actually going to Israel as well now. So a lot going Amazing. on, but um, I have freed up my my schedule at work to be producing a lot more content this year, which I'm really excited about. So there'll be a lot of new things on the horizon. That's fantastic. We're like completely opposite and completely the same. I'm uh, not traveling anywhere. I might leave my house <laughs> at some point, <laughs> but I am creating tons of content this year. So, um, nice. so yeah, so both of us will have lots to share with people. Great. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Um, this was again, a, a new thing for us to do. If you liked it, I'd love for you to leave a comment or reach out to me on Twitter, Marie underscore Haynes. Um, and if you want to hire my team and I to, uh, to review your website, you can do that at help at mariehaines.com. You can reach out to us and Lily, how could uh, people reach out to you if they'd like to do that? Uh, Twitter's the best way. So it's Lily Ray NYC. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much for listening and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Bye.